Uh, but today I get the privilege, I get the privilege of bringing us our teaching this morning. So if you have been joining with us over the past couple of months, we just finished a three and a half month long series. Pastor Bill had a long series that we were going through. Listen, learn and live for the Father. That was the series that we went through. We started it, I think, January 1st. And he just finished it on Easter Sunday. Listen, learn, and live for the Father. And then if you were here with us last week in person, we had a guest speaker, Jeff Laird, who, worked for the, who works for the EOD district. Um, and he was coming in just kind of as a, a one-off, we would kind of say, a speaker. And he talked about two specific names of Jesus, the lion and the lamb. And he had us often remembering kind of what he called like that Sunday school answer of Jesus is the answer for it all. And we're actually going to dive into it even a little bit more today. Uh, but a couple of months ago, as a team with Pastor Bill, we were kind of crafting and creating just the different things that might be spoken about. And so this was one that was chosen maybe four months ago and kind of placed into the calendar. And so it's another one-off series, or like just a message today kind of on its own. Um, and it's called Standing for God Without Giving Offense. It's maybe a bit of a, we're going to go into it a little bit. It's a bit of an intense subject maybe, but I think this is something that we are all going to really enjoy going through. And so I would always encourage people, if you have notes on your phone or a pen or a paper, I, I always think that if we come here expecting that God is going to speak to us and meet with us, whether it's in worship or through the word, you probably want to want to write it down. And so there's going to be things that I'm going to talk about today that hopefully Holy Spirit will use my words this morning and speak to you about it, standing for God without giving offense. And so I'm just going to tell you the whole outline of where I'm going and what we're talking about. I'm a pretty linear thinker, and so I'm going to tell you exactly what we're going to do, and then we're going to do it. And so first, we're going to talk about how if you're a follower of Jesus, there are going to be what I'm going to call in this sermon, there are going to be collisions. And I'll kind of dive into why I call them collisions. If you're following Jesus, there's going to be moments in your life where you're going to have to explain or discuss or whatever it might be, something that you believe in to another human. They're going to ask, hey, why do you do this? Why do you believe this? Why do you think this? And you're going to be faced with some sort of conversation about it. If you're following Jesus, I'm going to call those collisions. We're, those things are going to happen. And so if we know that collisions are going to happen, then are they all weighted the same? Are all of those conversations weighted the same? Should we give them the same amount of time and energy? Or is there different levels to conversations about what you believe in and how important they are? And so we'll talk about that. And then lastly, we're going to talk about in the midst of those conversations, if we know they're going to happen, and if we know like the different levels of which ones are worth which what, it, how do you conduct yourself in the midst of those conversations? So they're going to happen. They've probably happened in your life before. How do we kind of conduct ourselves in the midst of those? That's what we're going to talk about today. And so we're going to talk about collisions to start off. Um, and I just wanted to start off with this analogy that I was listening to a couple of months ago, just as I was doing some of my own devotions and listening to some podcasts. And there was an analogy of, of what it's like to be a follower of Jesus that I found very helpful, and it'll kind of lead us into what we're talking about today. So first, I just want to ask a question to everybody. This will be a little bit of a participatory thing. So how many of you have your license? You have a license, you can drive a vehicle. Uh, this might be a lot of people, and the thing is, is if you don't have your license, you probably have driven in a car and you know all about how it works, uh, not the details of it, but in that sense. I would like to know who here has, has driven the longest. So how many of you, because I, I was even just doing the mental math, I'm 33, and I'm like, man, I'm 33, I got my G1 when I was 16 on the day, that's what you did, 
Like, I know it's maybe a little different now, but as soon as you turn 16, you got to leave school, you got your G1. And then eight months to the day, you had it booked. You were ready to go, at least for me. And I was ready to go get my G2 um, eight months to the day. And so I was like, wow, I've been driving legally for uh, like, what does that make, 17 years? Like, wow, because even before that, I grew up on a farm. I was driving tractors and snowmobiles at way too young of an age. I remember jumping on a tractor, learning how to drive stick. And it was pretty much just like, here's a field. You can't bump into anything. Like, give her a whirl for a bit. So I've been maybe driving for 20 years, and I'm like, wow, that's a long time to be doing something, even for me. I haven't, there's not too many things I've been doing for 20 years. But how many of you have been driving for at least, legally, for at least 10 years? Maybe raise your hand. If you've been driving for at least 10 years, keep your hands up for a second. Uh, how many have been driving for 20 years? 20 years you've been driving. 30 years. 40 years. 50 years. Some of you are nervous about keeping your hand up. 60 years. Has anyone been driving for more than 60 years? 65 years. Do we have only 70 years? Has everyone? Any, <laughs> how long? How many years have you been driving for in the back there? 70, 70 years. Like, that's crazy. I was... <laughs> to do anything. I was thinking about my grandparents because my grandpa, my grandpa just got, I think, I think he has to, with vision tests and stuff like that, you have to go more often. And it's kind of funny whenever I'm talking about my mom, my mom's just so nervous every time he passes and he keeps passing and she just gets more and more nervous actually. But, <laughs> and so I'm sure there comes a point maybe, but he's 93 years old. Like he's been driving for 75 years probably. It's like, oh my goodness. The amount of things, even for us that have been driving for five, 10 years, the amount of muscle memory, how comfortable we are in those vehicles and how, how many natural just instincts we have while we're driving, uh, there would be quite a few. So here in Canada, we drive on the right side of the road, uh, but there would be like countries, there's about 70 countries or so that actually drive on the left side, the wrong side was what we would say, right? There's your cheesy joke that you can kind of place in, the wrong side. Like if you go to the UK or Australia, I think um, India, some countries in Africa, they would drive on the left side of the road. And so they have vehicles that would look like, you want to put up this, they would have vehicles that would be two things, one very similar and also just very different. So if you were to go into this car, let's say you were renting a car in, in London, England or whatever, and you were going to drive around, and you go into this vehicle, there would be so many things that would just be so unnatural. Even just to start, you would probably open the door and realize you're on the passenger side. Like, oh, that just feels so unnatural. And so you go around to the other side, you open the door, you sit down, and the steering wheel actually does probably feel comfortable. Maybe the pedals feel comfortable, and you go to move your mirror, and you're touching nothing over here. Or you go to, like, shift your gears and the windshield wipers just go on. There would be a couple of things that would just be so unnatural and counterintuitive because it's something that we just do so often, yet there would be a few things that would be natural. And so as you're driving this car, it would just take some very intense and intentional thought in every single thing that you're doing because your body is so used to doing something else. And so if I were to take this analogy just even one step deeper, let's say you, what, you did go to London and you rented this vehicle, there is some uncomfortable things, but everybody is at least going in the right direction. And so as you're trying to learn some of these things that are unnatural, counterintuitive, at least everybody is flowing in the right direction and helping you maybe do some of those. And you can pick it up a little bit quicker. If you were to do it here and you were the only one doing it, there would probably be a collision. I'm sure there would be a collision. And so that analogy I found helpful, even just thinking about what it's like to be a Christian. 
I think it's a great way to think about following Jesus. As you start to learn and grow in your relationship with Jesus, there are some things that actually just come very naturally. If you're learning his teachings and you're just like, oh, I'm a kind and caring human being. I actually always have cared about other people. And so sometimes you read teachings from Jesus and there's like, oh, that actually comes very naturally to me. But there would be some things that would be very unnatural. And you actually have to think counterintuitive almost. Loving your enemy, a praying for somebody who persecutes me, being so radically generous that I'm giving more than I'm even comfortable with. Some of these things are very unnatural, counterintuitive, and we have to think about doing it. When following Jesus, we will need to choose to do, in those moments you have to choose to do it, choose to do some things that are unnatural and counterintuitive. Again, taking that analogy one step deeper, but those things that are unnatural are so much easier when you're running in the same flow with all of the other people. It's why we gather together. It's why it's so important to gather together. In large gatherings like this, but also in meetups, another plug for meetups, sign up for a meetup, get in a small group, connect with people that would be going in the same direction because some of those unnatural and intentional things that you really have to think about are easier when you do it in community. But then to take it one more step deeper, the thing is, Jesus never asked us to only congregate with believers. It would actually somewhat be easy if we were like, ah, if Jesus said, okay, take this community here and we're just gonna put you on an island and everyone can run in the same direction together. But that's not what we were asked to do at all. Matthew 5, 13 to 16, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, the lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. And so we are not asked to only be going in the same direction as ever. We were actually asked to go out into the world, into our neighborhoods and our workplaces, and live a life that is counterintuitive and unnatural as we're following Jesus. So there is going to be collisions. There's going to be collisions. You're going to have conversations with people about, hey, why is it that you do this? Maybe you're at work and they say, you go to church twice a week? Like, so I can wrap my head around maybe coming on Sundays, but there's a small group that you're a part of too, or a prayer group. Like, why do you do that? That would be a collision. You have to now understand and, and maybe uh, explain what it is that you believe. Students, this happens all the time. Very obvious. In your school, there might be things that people ask you, look at you about the decisions that you make, about how you live your life, about what you say, about what you don't say. There's going to be collisions, and you're going to have moments where you're going to have to explain what you believe in. So what do we do in the midst? Parents, we have three boys, Kathleen and I, five, seven, and almost nine. He would want me to say nine. It'll be nine in August, five, seven, and nine. I'm telling you, just the way that we have chosen to live our life, how we have taught our kids about Jesus, how we shape our life, our kids at five, seven, and nine are having collisions all over the place. Collisions all over the place. They live their life very differently, and they're gonna have to be able to explain what it is they believe and why. So collisions are gonna happen when you're following Jesus. Two quick side notes to kind of go with this. One, collisions don't only happen actually between believers and unbelievers. There are so many conversations that would happen in this church with people in your small group about what we believe and how that would change. There's probably more conversations that would happen between believers, between followers of Jesus, than there actually would be outside. And so these collisions happen both inside and outside. The second thing is collisions are not a bad thing. I know in this analogy, that's where the analogies only go so far. 
Collisions aren't a bad thing at all. Collisions are good because they're opportunities for us to learn and for us to grow and for us to share our faith. Some of the best ways that I have grown in my faith are because I have somebody else in my life asking me a question and I now have to figure out what that answer is if I don't have it. And I actually then have to not only figure out what that answer is, but how would I communicate it in a way to somebody who may not have grown up where I grown up or know what I know, and so I actually have to learn. I'm telling you, so many times I have learned and grown in my faith because a teenager asked me a very simple question, and I had to figure out how to give a complex answer in a simple way. It helps you grow. And you have these conversations all the time within the church, and you're going to have these conversations outside of the church. So collisions only go so far. Collisions are a good thing. They help us grow. They help us learn. They help us share our faith. And so now that we know collisions are going to happen, if you follow Jesus, they're just, they're going to happen. Conversations, explanations, debates about what you believe in and why you're doing what you're doing, they're going to happen. Now the next question we move into is, are they all weighed the same? Are they all weighed the same? Should we spend as much time on all of them? Are some of them worth a little bit more? This might seem obvious, but sometimes based on the amount of time that we spend on certain topics, on certain understandings, it maybe isn't as clear as you think. Sometimes we, and we're going to go into it a little bit deeper, spend a ton of time on things that maybe matter a little bit less, and we spend little time on things that actually matter a whole lot. Our understanding and our belief system, we actually spend a lot of time on some of these fringe things, and we actually spend very little time on things that matter. And so there's going to be a way that I'm going to categorize all of our beliefs. Everything that we believe, I'm going to try to categorize just into two categories. We can categorize them into core beliefs and peripheral beliefs. Core beliefs are things that are absolutely essential to your faith. If you're going to be a Christian, you literally have to believe these things. They're core. They are the core. And then everything else is peripheral. Now, this does not mean, I'm going to say this often, peripheral beliefs are not unimportant. This is very important. They're actually very important. Um, They're just not essential to your faith. So we have so many different things that we can believe. Some are going to be core and some are going to be peripheral. Like you could think of something that would be core to our faith. Uh, Jesus rose from the dead. That would be something that it has to have happened. We believe that it's core. It changes everything if it didn't. It's core to what we believe in. And something that would be peripheral could be something to do with uh, how we view marriage, how we view what happens after we die. These are things that are crazy important. These are things that actually probably come up in discussions all the time. I'm not saying they're unimportant, but they would be peripheral. How much time and energy do you spend in those conversations, and do you know the difference between core and peripheral beliefs? And so I'm going to do, um, not an experiment, an exercise. Let's do an exercise together. So again, if you guys have, I didn't tell you beforehand, but if you have a paper or a pen on you, if you have your phone, I would open up a notepad, like a notes app. If not, you can use your brain. There's not going to be too many things. What I'm going to do, and this is, uh, I'm going to, I'll say it right off the bat, this is for, this is just for you. I don't want to open too many cans of worms this morning. <laughs> and so, and a lot of these things, they are very personal to what we believe and how we conduct ourselves. And so I'm going to say 15 statements. I just kind of chose 15 random statements. There are hundreds of these, probably thousands of things we could possibly believe. And I want you to answer them with either a one, a two, or a three. I'm going to say 15 different ones, and I want you to either in your head say, oh, that would be a one, that would be a two, or that would be a three. And the goal at the end is to know maybe how many ones did you finish with. Again, we're not taking this up. 
We're not gonna be talking about it with everyone around you. This is actually something I did with one of my friends as uh, a couple of months ago, we were just talking about some things. And I just found it so helpful to, as we are going through these statements, actually really try and think about, is this core, is this peripheral, is this somewhere in between? And so I'm gonna say 15 statements. You just have to answer each one in your head or on your notepad, one, two, or three. One would mean this impossible to be a Christian and disagree with this statement that was just said. On the far side, number three might be, oh, that statement that was just said, um, I may not even believe it, or there's different opinions on that, or I actually don't really care too much about that one. And number two would kind of be in the middle where it's like, oh, this is important. I'd maybe be troubled if somebody didn't believe this, but it's not a core belief. All right, you guys ready? 15 sentences, uh, 15 statements. Again, I just kind of chose them randomly. One, two, or three. We'll just keep it to ourselves because uh, I think it's important for you to personally just kind of go through something like this. All right, so there is one God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. How would you answer that? Don't say it out loud. You can write it down or just think about it. Would you answer that as a one, a two, or a three? Number two. I'm, I'm gonna probably fly through these so we don't spend too much time. The, the church must regularly observe baptism and communion. Number three, the Holy Spirit dwells in all believers. Number four, Christians should lead the way in caring for the environment. Number five, baptism must be done by full body immersion. If you were with us a couple weeks ago, um, my neighbor Amanda was in the tank over there. That's when you go under the water fully and then up above the water. Baptism by full immersion. Number six, there is a literal heaven and hell. These are like... Intense statements, if someone were to come to you, and some of you are even nervous even just thinking about it, that's why I think it's really helpful for us to go through. What do you believe about these statements in a, in a safe way? Number seven, all humans are separated by God from sin and are in need of God's grace. Number eight, Jonah, uh, a, a person in the Bible, in the book of Jonah, was literally swallowed by a fish and did live in it for three days. Number nine, the Bible is without errors. Number 10, Revelation describes events that will happen at the end of time. Number 11, Christians should fight for their religious rights and their freedoms. Number 12, Jesus was fully God and fully human. Number 13, the creation accounts in Genesis should be taken literally. Number 14, Christians cannot lose their salvation. If you were saved, you cannot lose that. And then the last one, the Holy Spirit gives all spiritual gifts today that are described in the New Testament. So if you saw those gifts being used when you're reading the New Testament, they should be used today as well. They would be happening. One, twos, and threes for all. These are, these are, big, these are big statements. These are big questions for us to think about, to ponder. Is it a core belief? Is it something you have to be a Christian? Is this something you can have an opinion on? These are things that we can quickly be like, oof, I don't know. That might have been a little overwhelming for some, and I, I think that's a good thing, because I think these are things we should think and ponder about as well. Some of you are very confident in, in some of these answers as well. So I want you guys to remember, I just picked 15 statements. I literally could have picked 1,000 of them. Um, and the question would be, though, how many ones do you end up with after those thousand statements? How many, how many twos do you end up with? How many threes 
do you end up with? And do you know what those are? Because it changes everything. Some of us, this is what happens in an exercise like this. Some of us have too many core beliefs. Some of us think that everything should be a one because we believe it so deeply to our core. Maybe because it was taught to us so deeply, like we gotta believe that, but actually we have way too many things that are core beliefs, and this is dangerous. Because you have too many core beliefs, you can easily dismiss or disrespect anybody that does not believe the same things that you do because those are core. You have to believe it. And so having conversations about your faith are very difficult because everything is a one. Too many things are ones. Also, if something in your life that you think is a one, that is a core belief, all of a sudden you hit an age and you realize, "Uh uh-oh, maybe that isn't a core belief. Now all of your ones get shaken. If you have too many core beliefs and some of them start to get maybe thought about in a different way, well, then all of your core beliefs get shaken a little bit, and that's a little bit dangerous, too. And so we need to be very aware of what's your core and what's your not. Some of us actually have too few core beliefs, though. There wasn't too many ones on that list at all. And that's also a thing that can be a little nerve-wracking, too, because if you have too little, it's actually hard to have a practical faith in general. How am I supposed to act over here if I don't know the things that I really need to know that this is true? How am I supposed to know what marriage is going to be like if I actually don't have these core beliefs in which I can base them out of? It's hard to have practical influence in your life. I think knowing... And having discussions about what you believe in, I think knowing what is core and what is peripheral is key to this discussion. And I think this is also something that has just happened. We see it in our young people very often. This is said often from the stage, but um, when, when, when students become teenagers, even preteens, and they start to actually make their faith their own, it's a little bit less about what my parents taught me. Uh, when, they, when they become a young adult and they move away from home and they start to get to make their own decisions, so many of our young people, for some reason, all of a sudden something gets said in their life that shakes up their belief system to their core and everything just kind of falls to the ground, either because they had too many core beliefs and one of them got shaken and so then they all got shaken, or they had too few core beliefs, they didn't even really know what they believed in, and so they don't have a stance on this, and so then they hear conversations and they, not, they don't know where to stand. I think that's really what happens often. And so if we are able to teach our children, to teach our youth and our students and ourselves what it is that we really need to believe in and what it is that might be peripheral, it just gives us such a better framework for being able to have these conversations. Now, there was a book that I was reading this week that I'm going to base most of the rest of this talk kind of out of called Benefit of the Doubt by Greg Boyd. And he called this this type of faith, a house of cards faith. I got a, a picture. Do I have some pictures up here? So in that picture on the right, that's, uh, I think, eight-year-old Bob. <laughs> I think that's eight-year-old Bob, my buddy Caleb, when I was little. And we were building a house of cards in my room. Those are all hockey cards. I had thousands of hockey cards. And we would build these little houses out of them. And then uh, this picture on the left, those are my three boys and, and uncle, or uh, sorry, not uncle, Pastor Jesse, <laughs> uh, Pastor Jesse, building them in our house. If anyone here has ever built like a house of cards before, um, building them with three boys in the same room is miserable because the thing with a house of cards is literally one stomp, one wiggle of a table, yours falls down, one little poke, the whole thing comes to the ground. One little card moves and the whole thing crashes. And if you don't have an understanding of your core beliefs, that's what your faith can be like. All of a sudden, something gets questioned, and for the first time, you freak out and you just throw it all, and it all crumbles to the ground because there wasn't this foundation for it to be built on. And so many of us have a faith that's like a house of cards. 
And so Greg Boyd in his book continues on saying, I think what might be better is for us to have a faith that's like concentric circles. Concentric circles. So there's a picture here, and this is what we're going to go through um, just for the rest of the time, is, is what it's like to create and to base your faith off of something that looks like this. Concentric circles. And so we have the center of this whole thing, if we're going to organize everything that we believe in into categories. The very center is the cross. The very center is Christ. If you were here with us last week, Pastor Jeff did such a good uh, teaching on just remembering that everything we do is just centered in Christ. Here's a quote from that book where this comes from. I envision my beliefs in the form of circles that are oriented around a single center. And the center is Jesus Christ, the one who perfectly reveals the love of God eternally, who perfectly embodies the love that God has for us. He perfectly models the love that we're to have towards other and who is the means by which we enter into a loving, covenantal, faith-based relationship with God. That quote right there is just incredible. I know it is a lot to wrap your head around, but why Jesus? Why is the center not the Trinity? Why Jesus? Why do you guys talk so much about Jesus? Well, it's because he perfectly reveals the love of God because he perfectly embodies the love God has towards us. He perfectly models the love that we are to have towards others and is the means by which we actually enter into that relationship. It's all through Jesus. Acts 4, 10 to 12. Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified but whom God raised from the dead, for Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says the stone that the builders rejected now has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. John 14, 5 to 7. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said to Jesus. We have no idea where you're going, Jesus. How are we supposed to know the way? And Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody can get to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. And from now on, you do know him because you have seen me. You want to know about the Father? Look at Jesus. Romans 10, 12, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised, from, raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's all through Jesus. Jesus perfectly reveals the love that God eternally is. Jesus perfectly embodies the love that God has towards us. And he perfectly models the love that we are to have towards others and is the means by which we enter into a loving and covenantal faith-based relationship with God. You want to have a discussion about marriage? Beautiful. Centered in Jesus. You want to have a conversation about politics? Beautiful. Center it in Jesus. You want to have a conversation about what you should do ethically and morally? Beautiful. Center it in Jesus. You want to have a conversation about how to interpret certain scriptures? Beautiful. Center it in Jesus. You can have a conversation literally about anything, and if it's centered and guided by Jesus, there is a cornerstone, a foundation that you can have those conversations with. That's why it's the center of all of those circles. And so now we'll go to this next ring here, and it's called uh, dogma. And so here's a quote. Because all followers of Jesus are called to belong to his body, the church, I believe we must carry out our assessment of our, of our beliefs in dialogue with the historic Orthodox Church tradition. All that to say is we're not doing it alone, and we're not doing it only now. 
For this reason, I place in the innermost ring those beliefs that have traditionally been understood to constitute Orthodox Christianity. These are sometimes referred to as the dogma of the church and they're reflected in our foundational ecumenical creeds. When we talk about what we believe in, it's not because I believe it now and it's only on me. It's so much safer when you say, hey, this is what the church for years, hundreds of years, things they could actually all agree on in different times. There are things that change and shift. These haven't. And so we're going to do something. Let's, we're going to read through, and you can usually find these in the creeds. That's what he's saying. So we're going to read a creed together. This might feel a little bit um, more liturgical than used to. Some of you grew up with it. I grew up with it a little bit more. Let's have like just a little bit of a, a back break and a leg break. Let's just stand up for a second. And we're going to read this together. We haven't practiced, so I know it's going to be tough. But let's try to say, we're going to say the Apostles' Creed together. This is going to help you. In all of those questions that could have been asked, this is going to help you know what could have been core. If it wasn't about Jesus, and if it wasn't in here, then it probably wasn't core. So let's see if we are going to be united here on something we can be united about. But let's see how our reading voices go, and I'll try and help us. But projection, we're all waiting on you, just letting you know after that last line. All right, here we go. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Whew. Good job, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> You guys can have a seat. This is a creed. This is something that has been agreed upon, a core beliefs that we can agree on. The center dot is Jesus, and the first ring is dogma. And so you can even think about all of those questions that you were answering. If they were kind of in there, then that's probably what it should have been. What do we believe in? Well, God the Father, creator of the world. We believe in Jesus Christ, fully human, fully God, who lived, died, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven, and he will return again. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the universal, capital C, church, the gathering of believers, the forgiveness of sins, and that there is life everlasting. This is the core of what we believe in, centered, and the foundation is on Jesus Christ. So those first two, that center dot and that first ring, that's what we would have called in our first categories core beliefs. And everything else, not unimportant, would be peripheral. And so we'll quickly kind of go through those last two rings. I know we're kind of running out of time here. So the next ring is called doctrine. Each ring usually explains the ring before it. That's kind of what we're going to do. But here's the quote. In the next ring, I place beliefs that Orthodox Christians have always espoused to, but over which there has been some disagreement. These are different doctrines that distinguish various denominations. So we have lots of denominations, churches meeting this morning, that would maybe believe a couple of things that would be different from each other. They would probably fit in here. And most of them derive from different ways of interpreting the dogmas just found in the ring outside of the core circle. So you have Christ in the center, and then you have our core beliefs in the first ring, and then doctrine usually explains dogma, and then opinion usually explains doctrine. So we, we believe that God governs the world, absolutely, is in charge, but, and usually you can just ask how. So yeah, core belief, God's in charge. 
How is he in charge? How intricately is he involved in your everyday life? Well, that actually would probably be pushed to doctrine. Not unimportant, but the how usually gets pushed an extra ring. We believe in the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. How the Holy Spirit interacts with us in and through us. Well, that would be more doctrine. How? But we would be able to say, no, we in our conversation know that we do believe in the Holy Spirit. And now we'll just run to that last one, opinion, the last ring. Finally, in the outermost ring, I place beliefs that individual Christians have occasionally espoused to, but have never gained the widespread support and have rarely been adopted by a recognized church body. While the circle of doctrine comprises of different ways Christians have interpreted dogma, this third circle usually comprises different ways of interpreting a a particular doctrine. So again, we can ask these questions of how. We believe God's the creator of the world? Absolutely. How the world was created? That's not a core belief, how it was created. So this is why it can guide your conversations. It can change everything. How How much emotional energy you put into certain conversations. Is the person you're talking with believe God created the world? Yes. And you guys disagree maybe on how it was created? Okay, well then that will shape the whole conversation, won't it? It can actually center you with the other person, understanding, yes, we believe that God created, but how might be a little bit different. We believe that, that Jesus will return again. He lived, he died, he rose from the dead, he ascended, and he will return again. How? Well, you can push that to a further ring in the circle. You can be having a conversation with somebody and spend a lot of emotional energy on how this will happen in the end. But is the person you're talking with believe that Jesus will return again? Because that's core. Is when people are, are coming at you with questions, is it something that's the core and you really need to maybe stand up for, understand, defend, believe? Or is it something that's more on the outer rings and it's okay to have some conversations and to kind of figure it out? That is going to change all of your conversations. And so what does having a foundation, if we can go through all of these questions, I actually would say to some of you, hey, just go home. There's not too many times where I'd be like, hey, Google this, but Google just things that Christians believe and go through that process. Where would I put it? In those rings. Actually think about what you believe and what is core and what is not, because it's going to help. It's going to help you. But what does this allow us to do? Well, it allows people to adjust their beliefs. That's a scary phrase for some to say, to adjust your beliefs as they have an ongoing intellectual and spiritual development while still grounding them in a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. How many of you here have been a Christian for a long time? And what do you believe everything exactly the same as when you became a Christian? I hope not, probably not, because you've had time to grow in conversation and hearing from the Holy Spirit and reading scripture. You have probably adjusted some of your beliefs and that is okay. It's, oh, well, it's okay when you are grounded in your core beliefs, when you're grounded in Christ. It allows you to be able to have conversation and adjust and grow intellectually on some of your thoughts and ideas. The second thing is that if you have that understanding of where things fall, if you know your core beliefs, it actually makes it easier to have conversations about your peripheral beliefs. What do you think about marriage? What do you think about creation? How it happened? What do you think about what's going to happen after? What happens after you die? When you're grounded in Christ, when you know that this is my core beliefs, it actually allows you to maybe give yourself a framework of where you can lie in some of those peripheral conversations. And lastly, it allows you to be mindful of how much emotional energy 
you are putting into a peripheral belief. How many conversations have you been having that are actually things that are peripheral? How much time of your life do you spend pouring into something that you care deeply about, which is good, it's fine, but I want you to know that you are spending all of that emotional energy on something that is a peripheral belief. And is it being shaped by a core belief or do you have them flopped around? It actually gives you the ability to look at that. And I think that's very helpful. So our whole conversation here, we know that conversations are gonna happen. We know collisions are gonna happen and collisions are a good thing. They happen inside and outside the church. Now that we've gone through it, you can probably look at a lot of these questions like, yeah, a lot of those questions would happen inside the church, of course. Collisions are a good thing. They help you grow. So now you can look at all of the things that you believe and you can categorize them and know, are you centered in Jesus? Do you know what your core beliefs are and do you know what would be peripheral? And lastly, if we're going to be having these conversations, how should we conduct ourselves? And I'm just going to finish uh, with a scripture. Band, you guys can actually come up. 1 Peter 3, 13 to 18. Well, how, if, am I going to be having a conversation about marriage or the end times or creation or, or the, the Trinity? How do you conduct yourselves? I'm just going to read a scripture that I just think you don't need, really need to expound on too much. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? <laughs> Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? Well, here's the thing. I'm even just stopping there. Some people will. The answer is some people. It happened to Jesus. It will happen to you. Even if you're eager to do good, some people will. But most of the time, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Don't fear their threats. Don't be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Center yourself on Jesus. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give you the reason for the hope that you have. So somebody notices there's something different, you have hope, you should be ready to have that conversation. A collision is going to happen. Be ready for it. But do it with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ might be ashamed of their slander. For it's better, if it's God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Always have a reason for the hope that you have. And in those conversations, do it with gentleness and respect. And it's covered in doing good deeds. This is what the conversation should be. If you're having conversations about what you believe in, things you care deeply about, and somebody disagrees with you inside or outside of the church, in the midst of that conversation, know the reason for the hope that you have. It's anchored in Christ. But do it with gentleness, kindness, respect, and there's good deeds flying all over the place. That's how we are supposed to conduct ourselves in the midst of it. And so this is my hope for everybody today. My hope is that you can actually ask yourself this question. Have you had many collisions lately? Have you actually had an out loud conversation with somebody inside or outside the church about your faith? Because you should be. And if you're thinking about it and you actually don't really talk about it often, well, then that is actually showing and revealing maybe something in your life. Because if you're following Jesus, things, some things are natural, some things are very unnatural. We're running in a world that's counterintuitive to that. You're going to run into ghost conversations. You should be having collisions. Some of you maybe just need to sit today and think about what are my core beliefs and really understand them. Am I centered in Christ in all of my things? Am I centered in Christ and do I fully understand I know what my core beliefs are? Some of you maybe today, I hope, feel a little bit more confident that you've actually been exploring some of these peripheral beliefs and you actually feel now just like a weight of the world is off your shoulder because it's okay to adjust some of those beliefs when you're centered in Christ. 
And so just breathe, it's okay. Centered in Christ, understanding the core, and then adjusting as you grow intellectually and spiritually. And I just pray that all of us together are unified yet again in Jesus. That's why we're here. I pray that we're unified by the creed, which we all said together. May we be unified so that on Sundays like this, on small groups, you can actually feel like for brief moments in your week, you're running in the same direction as some other people, and they can help guide and align you. And you can actually just kind of rest a little bit in the presence of other believers. You know what I mean? And how much of a gift that can be. That's why we gather. And so I hope that you're encouraged today. And so as our response today, we're just going to sing a song, the creed. We're going to sing it together. Let it unify us. Maybe would you stand with me? And this is how we're going to close. We're going to sing the creed together, something that we just spoke about. This is why we meet together, so we can be aligned, so that we can hear truth, so that we can be encouraged by those that are around us, running in the same direction as you, so that as we go, we can feel a little bit more confident, full of the Spirit, encouraged by the church to be able to do what it is that God has asked us to do, be salt and light in your community, in your neighborhood, to your neighbors, in your schools, That's what we're doing. And so can we sing this together? Sing it loud. Understand that these are things that we all can agree on, even though there's things in here that we disagree on. And that's okay. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful, diverse look at the church body. But we can sing this with just full confidence that these are our core beliefs. Let's sing together.